Today's message is going to be out of 2 Samuel 13, uh, 1 through 33. Uh, let's begin. It says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. Ask for me, where could, ask for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and, and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother. For this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her head on her hand she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers in Belhazor, 
which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should I go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon and kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth. And all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. But by the command of Absalom, this had been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart, as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and the reading of his word. Most of you, and like me, were uh, glued to the television this week, and even had your ear attentive to the radio as you heard the events unfolding in, uh, in Boston this week. Um, the bomb in, ex- in itself was, was quite tragic, and then to hear of the ordeal of them as they pursued the, the suspects. You know, it's, it's times like these and, and these, what we, would, what we would consider heinous sin, it is, it is times like those where we, we, it causes us to kind of pause and to, to step back and to get perspective on, on, on what it all means. Why did this happen? What does this, this all mean? And these were some of the questions that I was reflecting on and thinking about this week in light of this tragic situation in Boston. But the same is true. That same pause comes when we read in the scriptures tragic and horrific and even shocking events. It indeed should cause us to pause. It should cause us to take a step back and to get perspective. And so that's what we hope to do this morning. Yes, we're going to deal with the the details of the text. We're going to deal with the immediate context of the text. But we also want to pull back and look at this from the 30,000 foot view. We need to see it in its redemptive historical context. You see, the Bible, the Bible has a goal in mind and it works together as a whole. And so we just can't, you know, pull out parts without 
looking at them in the context of redemptive history. If we were simply to just deal with the Bible in parts, this chapter in 2 Samuel would be quite depressing. Would make little to no sense and would leave us with, with no hope at all. So, so we're going to deal with it at the 30,000 foot view. Looking at what this text teaches us about God, what it teaches us about man, and we're going to look at what it teaches us about David, and finally, what it teaches us about Christ. First, let's see what it teaches us about God. We can't, we can't look at the events in this text without recalling Nathan's chastening of David back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, right? The events we discussed over the, the last few, few weeks are a, a, a direct consequences um, of David's sin, we see, we see the outworking of God's judgment on, on David when he is told in 2 Samuel 12, 10 and 11, when Nathan comes to him, confronting him of his sin, telling him that his sin it does have consequences, he says this, Now therefore, David, the, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. What David is experiencing in 2 Samuel chapter 13 is exactly what God told him would come about. David, David, yes, like we learned last week, would be forgiven, but the consequences of his sin would be long-lasting. And, 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 and I know you're thinking that we're, we're, we're beating a dead horse. We've said it now for the last three weeks that there are consequences to our sin. But the Bible reminds us over and over again that there are indeed consequences that extend further than what we think. Brothers and sisters, when Adam, when Adam took the fruit, and ate it. He had no idea that all his posterity would be affected. He had no clue that from that point on, all mankind, all of mankind would be born into a state of sin and misery. He had no idea. Sin is that potent. Paul reminds us of that in Romans 5, 12 and 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. It's it's long-lasting. The consequences of sin are long-lasting. They they affect more people than you think they do. But you may say, well, well, what does the fact that sin has consequences teach us about God? Well, it teaches us, one, that God, that God keeps his promises. He told David that these would be the consequences, and he is now experiencing the consequences of his sin. But it also teaches us that God is holy. Sin and its consequences reveal to us the holiness of God. God does not and will not tolerate sin. He can't. It's against his, his, his nature and the way the, in which sin is dealt with in the Bible and more specifically the way this, that sin is judged in the Bible points to the unmatched holiness of God. R.C. Sproul says this, sin is no small matter and its consequences are severe. Those who regard lightly the Lord's holiness cannot be surprised when they feel the fury of his wrath. Oh, sin, sin is serious. Ask Uzzah. Ask Uzzah when he had experienced the holiness of God as they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant incorrectly and it begins to tumble, Uzzah touches the Ark and is struck down dead because of the holiness of God. Sin has consequences in Numbers 4 and 15, this is, this, is Uzzah under, Uzzah, this is why Uzzah died. And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. Sin is that serious, brothers and sisters. The consequences of sin point to us just how holy and just and right God is. See, God's judgment on David and the resulting consequences our 30,000-foot view of God's disdain for sin and the holiness of his character. But not only, this passage not only teaches us about who God is, it teaches us about man. 
We also see the plight of man in this text. And brothers and sisters, it is on full display here in this account. Few have not come to the conclusion that that man is depraved. I don't know what world you are living in because it sure is not this one. Every human being born into this world, before they even have a name, they have an identity. Sinner. They're a sinner. And that sin affects us to the core. The the theological term that we use to describe this condition is called depraved, that we are depraved. But, But if you don't like that term, let's see how the Bible refers to our condition. It refers to our condition as dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Dead sons of disobedience, children of wrath. That's how the Bible describes our condition. But not only that, it describes us as Evil, evil. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9 and 3. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness. Madness is in their hearts while they live. This is how the Bible describes man's condition. And brothers and sisters, this this text this morning demonstrates all that and more. shows that the condition of the heart of man and what is capable, what is capable of pouring forth from it. We read verses like uh, Mark 7, 21 through 22, where it says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. We, we hear those things. We read that verse, but we don't really believe that that's what's in our heart and what could actually come forth from our heart. It is so easy to look at an account like this and say, this would never happen to me, that I would never stoop that low. I, 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 this week, as, I, as, as they were pursuing the second, the second bomber in Boston, Person after person, countless people got on TV and said, well, we never saw this coming. It doesn't seem like this is a man who would do this, these things. He was kind. He was gentle. He was smart. Oh, brothers and sisters, when we make statements like this, we fail to understand fully the depravity of the human heart. As we look at Amnon... Absalom, and even Jonadab, you quickly see how fallen man is and what we are capable of. We see what pours forth from the heart 
that is not towards God. First, we see, we see sexual immorality. We see sexual immorality in this text. Like David, his father, Amnon, Amnon failed to mortify the lust of his heart. The Bible tells us in this text that, that he loved his sister Tamar, but that love, that love that he had for her soon turned into lust. And like David with Bathsheba, he had to have her. And so he comes up with this, this scheme, this, this plan to, to lure his sister to his side, and he takes her, violates her, rapes her, and discards her. This is awful, brothers and sisters. This is Amnon's sister. David, his father's daughter. It's awful. You can see why God would look at man and say this in Genesis 6 and 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How the sexual immorality that pours forth from the heart. We we also see in this text that, that from the heart can pour forth murder. Absalom hears that his, his brother, what his brother has done to his sister, and he is furious. He's, he's furious. His, his anger, he, he's angry, but that anger festers for two years. It's two years before, before Absalom kills his brother. Says this anger is, is festering. He, he doesn't starve it. He doesn't mortify. He doesn't seek to deal with him. And so Absalom finds himself luring his brother out to a celebration with the intention of putting him to death. The brothers and sisters, the heart is, is wicked. We would say, well, we would, I, would, I would never do such a thing. But you let anger fester enough, brothers and sisters. You let it fester enough. You let the devil have that foothold. And what you thought you would never do, sin sneaks up and grabs you. It's what Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells us. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Put it to death. Put it to death is the exhortation, brothers and sisters. This is what wells up in the human heart. Sexual immorality, murder. But then in this text, we see deceit. Deceit. Did you notice that listed right along with all those other sins, sex, sexual immorality in, in, in Mark chapter 7, se- sexual immorality, adultery, murder, 
next to all those sins that we would consider heinous is deceit. I know we don't, we don't realize how dangerous and how prevalent deceit is. It is, as we, as we read through this text, it is the precursor. It is the precursor for all of the sins we mention in this text. Yes, yes, in our text there is the sin of lust. There is the, the heinous sin of rape. The, the, the breaking of the fifth commandment in, 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 in murder. There, there's sexual immorality in this text. All are awful and disheartening acts. But running throughout this chapter, and actually many more that we will see after this, is the sin of deceptions. And what deception is, it's lying. There is a deception, there's deception running throughout this whole account. It begins with, with Amnon deceiving David. His, his lust has overcome him and he, he must have his sister. And so he decides that he is going to consult with his cousin, Jonadab. And Jonadab comes up with this wise and scheme that, 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 that Amnon should pretend that he's sick, go to his father and ask for the hand of his, his sister to come and, 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 and make a meal for him, prepare a meal for him. Deceit. Amnon deceives Tamar. Thinking she was simply there to prepare a meal for her sick brother, Amnon has Something completely different in mind. Then there is the lie that Absalom tells David to lure Amnon out to eventually kill him. Absalom tells David, yeah, I want to invite all the sons out to the sheep shearing, to the celebration. Absalom has no desire to have his his brothers join him. His only goal, his only desire is to kill Amnon. There is the deceit of Jonadab. Acting as though he is an innocent participant in all this. When when David gets word that that his sons have been killed... Jonadab seeks to comfort him by telling him, oh, don't worry about it. Not all your sons are dead. It's just, it's just Amnon acting like he's an innocent participant in this whole thing. When he was the one that gave Amnon the idea on how to deceive David so that he could be with his sister. This is deceit. That's why. Brothers and sisters, as I looked over this text this week and meditated and meditated on the sin of deception, I realized that the sin of deception is Satan's number one characteristic. He is the father of lies. And his lies and deception wreak havoc on this world. And his children love to imitate that character. Started in the garden. The serpent deceiving Eve. Did the Lord say? We see it with 
Delilah deceiving Samson to tell her his strength and where his strength lies? But we don't, we don't see this just in pagans, brothers and sisters. Christians ourselves, when we get entangled in sin, we, we, we rely on deception as well. Abraham deceived Pharaoh into thinking, having him to believe that Sarah was his sister when she was really his, her, his, her wife, his wife. How about the, uh, the deception of Ananias, of Ananias and Sapphira? Deceiving the church in Acts about what they could give. Deception runs throughout the, the pages of Scripture. Tying man's sinful heart to the deceiver. I don't think we are ever more sinful than when we seek to deceive. Second Samuel chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15 are saturated with deceit. We see that out of the human heart can come sexual immorality, murder, and deceit. But we also see in this text that the sinful nature of man is ultimately the desire to disregard the things of God. To disregard the things of God, to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as Paul tells the church in Rome, in Romans 1 and 18. Look, look at verses 13 and 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 13. I mean, this is unreal. God, God in his kindness is warning Amnon. He is giving him a way of escape. He is giving him an out. There is no mention, there's no mention of God in this, in this chapter. There's, there's no prophet or priest, but there is one who desires to honor God. There's one who fears the Lord. And that one is Tamar. Tamar, look at what she says to Amnon, as he is making advances at her. Beginning in verse 12, she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. She says, she says, Amnon, don't you, don't you understand? This is not what we do in Israel. In other words, this is not how the people of God are called to live. There are consequences to this sin, Amnon. They, these consequences will affect you and they will affect me, Amnon. Don't do this thing, Amnon. Here is Tamar wanting to honor God. She refers him to the people of God in aiming, in naming Israel. This is not what we do in Israel. 
And what does Amnon do? Suppresses the truth. Suppresses it in unrighteousness. Oh, the sinful, depraved nature of man is deaf to the truth. Blind to the things of God. We're so consumed, the the sinful, the unregenerate heart is so consumed with the desires that it wants to fulfill. When the truth comes, it's deaf, it's blind to it, and it seeks to suppress it. Even when God is being merciful and kind, we suppress it in unrighteousness. This is wicked. This is heinous, brothers and sisters. This is the nature of man apart from the grace of God. You don't don't think you would go there? You don't think you would go there? I, I hope you're not trusting in your own heart and in your own self to keep you from going there. Brothers and sisters, we don't know our hearts as well as we think we do. Let Christ search your heart and see what he finds. Have Christ take the the white glove test to your heart. You do know what the white glove test is, right? When you're cleaning... Right, You know something as clean as if you can take a white glove and run it across the surface, and if no dirt shows up, you're good. Have Christ take the white glove test to your heart and see how much dirt he finds. Oh, brothers and sisters, but, but if you are trusting in him, If you are trusting in Christ, what he finds, he seeks to wash white as snow with his precious blood. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Don't trust in yourself, but trust in Christ who can make you clean. This is the wickedness that we see. This is the wicked heart that we see a man of, of man in this text. But it also points us to David. This, this chapter teaches us about the nature and the character of God. It shows us in vivid detail the, the sinful nature of man, but it, sh- it also shows us the failure the failure of David. David was a success on so many levels. He was a success on so many levels. He was was skilled in shepherding. He was a talented musician, writer, and worship leader. He He was a fierce soldier. I mean, nobody wanted to mess with David. David could throw down. Nobody wanted to mess with him. He was was handsome. He was a great friend. He was even a man after God's own heart. But David was a failure as a father. 
And I, and, and I don't say that because I'm an expert one. I don't say that because I look at David and I say, David, you know, you're not doing what I would have done. But it's because I believe the Bible paints for us that truth here. And I don't, and it also paints for us as truth, but I, I, I think it wants us, the Bible, God wants us to see David's failure. We already, as we have already looked at, the sin that is plaguing David's household, all of his family, the, the strife that he is going through now is a direct result of his sin. David failed to pursue holiness and mortify the sin in his own life, and now his family is suffering the consequences. Fathers, fathers, as much as we hate to admit it, is this not true? The, the sin that we engaged in or have engaged in, the, the sin that we only thought affected us, actually has consequences that trickle down to our family. Is this not true? Oh, I'm reminded of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. When, 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 when the people of God went up against Ai and were commanded to destroy it all, to leave, to put it all to destruction, to not keep anything, and Achan sees some gold and he decides that he is going to keep it for himself, thinking that he's taking care of his family, thinking that this sin would only affect him. Oh, brothers and sisters, it affected the nation. And it affected his family. And we read this in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 24. This frightens me every time I read it. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Achan thought that just a little gold only affect me if they find out. Sin has serious consequences. Achan found that out, and, and David found it out. David's failure to deal with the sin in his heart affected his family. They suffered the consequences. What a sobering reminder, dads. That shady work deal, your anger, you abdicating your role in the home, the way you treat your wife, the love of money, it has consequences that extend far beyond what you think they do. And oftentimes that sin, and I know it, I know it, 
sin affects our families, man. It really does. We need to be mortifying, killing that sin. But David's failure wasn't just that he didn't deal with the sin that was in his own heart. He didn't deal with the sin that was in his own house. Look at verse 21. When David, when King David heard of all of these things, what things? He heard what Amnon had done to Tamar. He was very angry, period. Period. That period is very important. Because what it means is that David knew what Amnon had done to his sister, what what Amnon had done to David's daughter. He was angry, but he did nothing about it. He did nothing about it. David failed to deal with the sin that was in his own house. And he had every right, he had the authority to do so. David was the king. The king is the one who judges matters, these these matters. He was the king who was supposed to carry out justice. He was was ready to execute justice on the rich man who stole the poor man's lamb just a chapter ago. But now when it comes to his own family, there's there's nothing. He had every right. This This is a blatant disregard for the word of God. What Amnon has done to Tamar is evil. It is against the law of God. We we read it in Leviticus 20 and 17. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquities. This is the the law. David had every right to handle Amnon, to deal with the sin. But he simply ignores it. Why does he do so? Why does he do so? And I mean, to be honest, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure why he does so. Could could it be because Amnon is his, his firstborn, the heir to his throne? Perhaps he didn't care about Tamar. The natural and most common thought as to why David didn't do anything is because David perhaps would have felt hypocritical calling out the sin of his son when he too had engaged in sexual immorality. Whatever the case, whatever the case, whatever the reason why David didn't act, David had a responsibility to deal with the sin of his son. Tells us, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole loaf? 1 Corinthians 15 and in, in 1 Corinthians 5. Because David didn't deal with it, Absalom did. And instead of justice taking place, injustice ruled the day. Fathers, none of us are without sin. 
We all, we all, we all have indwelling sin that we are dealing with, that we are seeking to fight, that we are seeking to kill every single day. But that struggle does not mean that you don't have a responsibility to deal with the sin in your own household. As the head of the household, you have a responsibility to deal with that sin. Proverbs 13 and 24 tells us, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. David should have disciplined Amnon. He didn't. He ignored it. David doesn't deal with the sin in his own heart. He doesn't deal with the sin that is in his own house. David has failed as a father. But as I said earlier, I believe God would have us know and see that failure. It is David's failure that magnifies the need for Christ. The 30 thousand foot perspective on this text shows us our need for Christ. The the redemptive historical view is that David was not the king who was going to be able to save his people. He wasn't the perfect king God was looking for. God required a king who was without sin. One who was to be just and justifier of those who put their trust in him. Brothers and sisters, David's dysfunctional family, his failure as a father, points us to the truth that we are all failures. Every single one of us, left to yourself, out of your heart would flow sexual immorality, envy, adultery, murder, deceit. Brothers and sisters, you are not good enough. You're not talented enough. You don't make enough money. You're not good enough to deal with the cesspool that is the sin of your heart. You're a failure. You're a failure. You have no chance. If David failed, if David failed, believe me, you don't stand a chance. That is why God sent Jesus. That is why he sent Christ, because everyone else fails. Everyone else fails. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the king that doesn't fail. And he bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is the perspective on this text. We look at the heinous, sinful acts in it, and we're tempted to say, well, I would never go there. But it should point us to the holiness and and, and, and glory of God. 
in whom none of us could stand in his presence. Oh, brothers and sisters, left to ourselves, we are just like Amnon, just like Absalom, just like Jonadab. Sinners, sinners. God has sent us Christ, called us to turn from our sin, place our trust in him, and hear the wonderful words. You have not outsinned the grace of God. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater, greater, greater than all of my sin. David's failure points us to our failure, but it magnifies, magnifies the grace and the success and the glory of Christ. Turn from your sins and trust him and him alone. Let's pray.